All right. There's a lot of things that have been going on this week. <laughs> hey, Daddy. <laughs> a lot of stuff been going on this week that uh, is has been incredible. Just some great stuff that the Lord's doing in this congregation, through this congregation, doors that God's opening for us and uh, all over the place. And just... Uh, just trying to flesh that stuff out, and I hope that you guys will be praying with us as we, we work on the details of this stuff. And then be also asking the Lord about your ministry and your, your place of service and how God would use you in this whole um, uh, transition time and as we move forward into becoming, uh, again, a, a multiplying church. I mean, there's no doubt that God has been teaching us a lot, a lot about what it means to be a community, but now he's also... Uh, wanting us to expand this community out into into uh, other places. So you have a role in that. And I hope you are praying and asking the Lord specifically, what is your role? What is it that God wants you to be and to do? And and uh, and it doesn't mean leaving for everybody. You know, uh, some of you have said, wow, been praying, and God said, I don't have to leave. Don't don't wipe the sweat off your brow just yet because this is one of the hardest hardest places to be. Right? Y'all with me? All right. Being here is hard. It's tough. It's tough to be in central Louisiana and in the south where we have so much opposition from religious folks, not so much opposition from people who are, who are in the world necessarily, but people who are, who are bound and stuck in religion. And so we are trying to work that out and trying to figure out how can we reach people in our own community, in our own workplace, who are still wandering around looking for something more than what they've been experiencing. Uh, more of God and less of, the, of the, dry, uh, the dryness and the things that they've been in the middle of for so long in their lives. And so I hope you are praying about your role and seeking God for what it is he'd have you to do. Every one of you that are part of this body are just that. You're a part of the body and as significant as anybody else. The body is all, the, all of the parts working together. And the most effective way for us to, to do this is to be together, all of us doing our part. All right? The body is not complete without you. doesn't mean that we're not going to function. We're just going to function with an arm that's hanging down by our side All right, if you're not doing your part. So I, find yourself in what we've been discussing and studying. Find yourself and your role. Um, today we start our first Sunday service in Ruston. We'll be leaving after, after church today, after new member orientation, and headed over there, so pray for that also. It'll be our first time to have a Sunday service in, in a house there, but we just are not able to get done everything we need to get done in one meeting a week. So we are expanding uh, into a Sunday service today over there. And then Talith and I also are going to be going to see our missionaries in, uh, in Tennessee. They're our, our annual fall break uh, trip to see them. And uh, so be remembering us and thinking about us as we travel this week. And a number of you I know are going to be, are going to be out because the school is out at LC. Uh, so we also just remember our church to remember our church family as we're out and doing and moving around uh, that we'd also take with us. This message of Christ. And watch for doors to open up for us. 
All right, Acts chapter 17 is where we are today. It's beginning to look uh, very consistent in the way that the Holy Spirit is moving now as we're multiplying churches. As Paul and Silas are going out and coming into different towns, they're facing the same kinds of things, same kind of opposition, same kind of acceptance. They're doing some of the same kinds of things. Last week was the first week that we, we saw them not go to a synagogue because there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, and so, uh, but they always start in the synagogue. They make that a part of their normal routine, and then they, they go to the Gentiles in some way in the community, and God opens up doors, and we're seeing a consistent pattern that we're also going to see as we multiply, uh, as we join God to multiply this, this uh, church experience and these distinctives that he's given us as a church that are, are very biblical and, and Holy Spirit-led. So as the church began to expand, we see these same things happening over and over again. And so we are going to continue to work our way through the book of Acts. And today we're actually going to, going to walk through uh, chapter 17, a large portion of chapter 17. But we're going to do it in a little different way. We're going to notice some of the things, remind ourselves some of the things that are continuing to go on, and then highlight some things that are, that are maybe a little bit different that will also, again, be things that we can apply to what we do in ministry here, and as we expand uh, these communities, our life groups into other areas, multiplying into those uh, other areas of, of this town, and then also as we uh, begin to look at other places that we go to, to plant churches. So in Acts chapter 17, uh, let's begin and read uh, verses, well, I got these out of order, hold on just a second. We'll start with verse 1, and I don't see it. All right, yeah, verses 1 through 4. All right, so here's what happens first of all, and again, this is just repeating some things that have already been happening in other uh, cities, but it says, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so now we find them in the synagogue again, and Paul went in, and here's this, the little statement that we're looking for, as was his custom. They are beginning to form routines and customs as they're led by the Holy Spirit going into these different towns, and one of those is that they go to the synagogue of the Jews. So he went in, and on three Sabbath days, so for three weeks, uh, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and arise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. All right, so Paul had a custom of going to the Jews to reason with them first. He still has a heart for the Jews. Remember Paul's heart as he describes it. His, heart, his heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. He's not giving up on the Jewish people. All right, but verse 5, it says, <clears throat> But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. All right, once again, we see a same pattern. Certain ones of the Jews who were jealous, who were, wanted to, who were doing what they were doing for power and prestige and position, uh, it, for personal gain, they rose up against this message of Christ and this church of Christ. So it happens again. 
And we know that successful, listen, successful church planting is going to incite opposition. All right, as we begin to move out even into this, this city and, and in the places where you live in your workplaces, as you share just the basic truth about who God is and the basic gospel, is, and you don't buy into all the religious uh, rabble that everybody else is buying into, it's already going to incite opposition because people hold on to what they have and they, their security is in the way they believe and the things that they do in their religion. And so we're going to have that same thing. It happens every time that Paul and Silas go into a new place where Jews are there. All right, verse 6 to 9. So they go to Jason's house to find uh, Paul and Silas. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. All right, here's a new something for us to recognize. In this particular case, Jason and, and these other brothers that were in Jason's house were dragged before the authorities and paid a fine on behalf of Paul and Silas in the church. If we're going to multiply biblical, spirit-led community, we need to know that those that are involved with us are also going to be at risk, and they're going to face the same opposition that we face. It's not so obvious here, but it is obvious in some ways here. I've watched some of you who have embraced the things that God's calling us to be as a church face opposition from your family members who are still stuck in religious bondage. You've experienced that. It's more obvious in Turkey where anybody that makes a decision, according to Brandon, if someone makes a decision to follow Christ, they're making a decision to be disowned by their family. In some cases, the threat of death that they're not even worthy of life, but they are disowned by their family and disowned by the community. And they have to, because of that, come into community with believers, and, and that becomes their family. If we don't have that. In some ways, that would be good for us because maybe we begin to understand what real family and community looks like. And it's definitely happening in the Bible. But I want to encourage you in this way, encourage you and challenge you and also warn you that if you continue to buy into what the Lord's telling you to do, in central Louisiana, we're going to face opposition. And the people that you encourage to come be a part of this body and of this church and to do life the way that God's telling us to do life, those people are also going to face opposition. But we are calling people to a relationship with Christ. People that come out of a community where they're, where, where they're lost and they've been in a lost community all their lives and they've built friendships and established relationships based on, on uh, a secular lifestyle, a lifestyle that's filled with, uh, you know, maybe drugs or alcohol or, uh, you know, all different types of sin. When, when you call them out, we need to be ready to be the community for them. Because you're calling them out of a community uh, where they had fellowship. 
I left that kind of community when I became a believer. I had no friends, zero, when I came to know Christ. When I made that decision to give my life to Christ, I told my friends about it, and they laughed, and they disowned me. Now, they didn't treat me ugly, but we just never, we didn't have anything in common anymore. I had nobody to hang out with. I lived in a small town, in a, in a town that didn't have, there were, there were no other believers my age. And so late in the year, my senior year, one of the, a guy was isolated with me throwing the discus. There was only two discus throwers from our school, and it was me and him. And I was teaching him how to throw the discus. And he and I were isolated every day. And, he, and I, had a, I had literally had him locked into a circle <laughs> all day long. I mean, all afternoon. And before that, that experience was over, he prayed to receive Christ. And he's a strong believer today and strong church member. Uh, and, and he and I then became so close to get, together, so tight, because we had to depend on one another. So don't feel bad about offering Christ to your friends and, and offering uh, this, rela- this uh, community to your friends and calling them out of the community that they're a part of, even though it may cause them some problems. That's a part of what's going on. And this, when, when biblical, spirit-led community is multiplied in the church. All right, Acts chapter uh, 17, verses 16 to 34. Let's move on. In verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and and, uh, Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed objects of worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor does he serve by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on, the face, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, our, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to think that the divine, we ought not to think that the divine being is like silver or gold or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. All right, I want to break this down. That's all we're going to do for the rest of the day. Here's a new experience. Here's, here's a, there's some other dynamics that are going on in this story in Athens that we need to recognize. There's something that God is doing in a very unique way, and there are principles that are tied to that that I want us to, to land today. All right, for us, this is stuff that we can apply this week as you start thinking about your life and your relationships with people in this world. All right, here's number one, verse 16. It says, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the, that the place was full of idols. All right, first of all, there's no change in the fact that, that Paul is being, is being led by the Holy Spirit. But here's what Paul does. As he looks around at this pagan uh, city that's full of idols, different kinds of idols, his, his spirit is provoked within him. Petronius, a contemporary writer in Nero's court, said this. He said it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. I think when we look around and we see the idols that are all around us, you see, they're not idols carved of gold, but we see idols all around us. And, and I gave this illustration last week. Uh, I don't know if I gave it to you as a group, but I know I said it a number of times last week, so let me just throw you in with it. We can't, you know, we, we sit around, uh, we feel uh, at, at times we act like we have found water and everybody around us is thirsty and we're swimming in the oasis and we're bathing in the oasis and we're splashing water on each other in the oasis. And outside of us is a world that's dying of thirst. Y'all with me? When Paul walked into this town and he sees all the people dying of thirst, there's something that happened inside of him. His spirit was, was provoked by the Holy Spirit to do something about it. Please focus on what I'm about to say. If, if we are believers, who, and, and we are, and we say that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, I don't think there's any way that we can continue this habit, and it is a habit. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not moving and working in the same way in us, but there's no way that we can continue the habit of coming into God's house and, and living our lives day in and day out and huddling up with each other and not considering the world that's around us that's stuck in all these false idols. They're, they're trying desperately to find something that will make their life worth living, and they're seeking it in every way possible. There's no way that we can keep just swimming in the oasis while these people are, are dying of thirst. And I know you have that in you. Y'all with me? Listen, if you're a believer, you've got that in you. I know it's there. It might be covered up by years and years of you just pushing that feeling away. Let's just, just, just ignore that because it's easier for us just to come together and sing songs about God and gather together in life groups and eat a meal and hang out together. And, and if accidentally somebody happens to make their way and ask us a question, then we'll know 
that that's one we can add. You know, we've got to get our eyes. We've got to allow the Spirit, the work that the Spirit's already doing to provoke our spirits. We need to just pour fuel on that fire. Everybody with me? We need to pour fuel on that. We need to nurse that desire. We need to, to put fertilizer on it. Let that stuff grow. I can't think of other illustrations, but you hear what I'm saying. We need to feed that. Paul, was, his spirit was provoked in him, and so will ours as we move to different places. I'm going in, in March to, uh, to Romania with John Reeve, a friend of mine, and, and I'm going to see how the Lord will provoke my spirit. I'm confident that he will. I was provoked just in talking about it, but to know what the Spirit's doing and how, what, what our part is there, when I walk in there, I know what's going to happen. It happens every time I go to a new place. Man, God just provoked. The Spirit of God provokes my spirit to see the, the ways that we can touch the lives of people that are in that village or in that town or in that city, whatever. And it happens here, too, all week long. God provokes, His Holy Spirit provokes my spirit to see the needs of people around us. We can't close our eyes to that. Be so stuck in our own comfort zone that we don't do that. All right, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace with those who happened to be there. So he's in the synagogue, but he's also in the marketplace, okay? Just a quick point. We've been saying this over and over again with the twenty-nine. But there's no sacred and secular divide about where the Spirit will provoke you to speak a word or to build a relationship or begin to bless somebody. It happens in the marketplace, not just here on Sundays or in the, in the synagogue, okay? Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And they said, what does this babbler wish to say? He seems to be a preacher of, divine, of foreign divinities because he was preaching that Jesus is the resurrection. So he's not... Paul is not being ashamed of this message that he has. He is preaching the resurrection of Christ. He's telling them what he believes, and it's, it's drawing the interest of those people who are around him. All the philosophers are wondering, what's he talking about? Thinkers are asking him to come think with them, right? They want to know, what is he, what, what's he presenting? It's drawing us, and I just want to make this, this statement, and I'll make it again later, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is working, remember, the, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit is testifying of, of Jesus and that we also should be testified. But the Holy Spirit is already out there drawing people, and we're just looking for that. And it's so sweet when somebody comes and says, uh, man, we hear what, what you're saying. And then look at what happens in verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus. The Areopagus is, is literally... Uh, it's the hill of Mars, or Mars Hill. Some of you heard that description of it. It was the location of a, an Athenian court where traditionally they would, uh, tr- they, they, old school, they used to try people there, but it became this place where, uh, where people would come and, and speak and talk and dispute about ideas and philosophies. And so they all gathered together uh, to, to do this on a regular basis and, and now, Paul tells us, or Luke tells us in the book of Acts that, that they were always about any new teaching. If anybody has a new teaching, bring them to the Areopagus, and we'll talk about it. So that happens. They invited him to come be a part of conversations. They wanted to know what those things meant. Look at it in verse 20. These things are strange to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And 
all the Athenians and for, foreigners who lived there would spend their time just talking about things. And so they come together at Mars Hill. So we, that's what we're looking for. I mean, wouldn't that be ideal that as we're blessing people, we begin with prayer, we're listening to them, we're eating with them, we're serving them, that ultimately they would say, hey, tell me some of this stuff that y'all believe. You know, I can't tell you how many times that people say in conversation that when they're t- telling me about telling somebody that they go to the gathering place, the response that they get, what do y'all believe? You know, what is it that y'all are doing over there in that secret place? You know, we hadn't seen any. They don't see There's no brochures out. I think they think somebody's making Kool-Aid over here. I could be wrong, but I think that's what most people say. They don't know what to think about us. It's, it's similar. They start seeing people being drawn together in community, and they're wondering what's going on, and they, and they want to know what we think and how we believe. I love that. And I think if you build relationships with people and they see the way you handle life and problems, they see Christ in you and, and the disposition that Christ gives you, they're going to want to know what's going on. There's nothing better than people asking you questions. But here they go. They're asking about their beliefs, our Paul's beliefs. So what does Paul do? We know what Paul does. He stands up and begins to speak. Look at it in verse 22. He stands in the midst of them, and he begins to speak. So I want to just break down some of the things that Paul says and, and us talk about that for just a minute. First of all, he, he affirms their religious practice, okay, which is good. He finds some points of common ground. The first thing that Paul does when he speaks is he finds some places of common ground so that he won't lose them to say, you guys got it all wrong, we got it all right. All right, look at what he does in verses 22 and 23. He says, I perceive in every way that you are very religious that you are very religious, which to them, they were thinking, that's good. They don't know that it was an indictment on them, but they're just, you know, he's trying to get in their skin, and so he finds a place of common ground. Uh, I passed, and I saw all the objects of your worship, and they're probably going like, yeah. You see mine over there? Yeah. All these objects of worship, the city full of idols. And he says, uh, I found even an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. What, there, what, therefore, you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he affirms their, their religion. He affirms their practices. He says, I notice what you guys are doing. And then he says, I even noticed one thing that you did, and I just want to talk about it a little bit. And then he's, now he's about to find a place of common ground where he can take something that they believe in and connect the message of the gospel of Christ to it. I don't know all the answers about how we're supposed to find common ground with people, but I titled the message today, Becoming All Things, because Paul said that he becomes all things to all people, that he might win some. So when it's to the Jews, he becomes as a, as a Jew. So he goes to the synagogue, and he keeps the Sabbath. And so when it's a, it, to, to, with the Greeks, he becomes as a Greek. So here he goes to Athens, literally, and he's becoming as a Greek. He's appreciating uh, their religion, and then finding an idol that they don't know, that they have ignorance about, an idol to a God that they are ignorant about. And, in their, and Paul's going to take their ignorance, and he's going to fill it with knowledge, which is who they are, and it's what they desire. They want more knowledge about another God. And so Paul's about to, to meet them where they are. And I just want to encourage you that there's nothing wrong with meeting people where they are. 
Paul is not sinning in his desire to meet these people where they are. He is doing the best that he can to go to, to take one of their idols, actually, and redeem it for the sake of God. And he does so, okay? So look what he says in verse 24 to 27. Same thing. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, all right? nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. All right? He's giving an, an argument here that's against the Athenian beliefs. All right? So he's, he's, taking, he's, he's making his point. He says, let me talk about this unknown God. This is the God who created the world. The Athenians didn't have that. The Athenians were, believed that they were aborigines that just sprung out of the earth. Uh, and, and what they believed about the world was that the world, they basically had a, um, uh, a Darwinian view of creation. That atoms just spun uh, into, into place and formed in the, in the way that we, see, that we see them today. That some spark happened and, it just, they, and the world just came into being. And so Paul's addressing both of those. He says, let me tell you about this God. And he goes right to the heart of the issue. He says, this is the God that created the world. So now you guys don't really have a God that did that. You thought you sprung up out of the ground. Or you you thought it just happened. No, this is the God that created the world. And he also created you. You didn't just come out of the ground. He created you. So the world that you see and your life is a result of this unknown God. It's the God of the universe. It's the God that I'm describing to you. So it's brilliant what Paul is doing here. Again, he's finding common ground. It's not just random thoughts. These are the things that these Athenians need to hear. And Paul's not doing it because he's brilliant. He's doing it because he's speaking the words the Holy Spirit's given to him. So he spoke something that they, uh, that they were relating to, and the Holy Spirit was drawing them to seek him and putting uh, in them now a desire to hear what he had to say. All right, again, common ground. Paul knows what they believe. The, the L of bless is listen because when you listen to somebody and you can ask them what they believe and you're paying attention, then you can begin to be, the Holy Spirit can use that information to give you wisdom on how to address those things. Paul had been there for three weeks he had been listening to people for three weeks, and God was preparing Paul by his, his open ears to hear the stuff that he needed to be able to share the gospel with these Athenians. Y'all with me? So listen to people. When we say listen, it means listen, right? Listen and then ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do with this information? And watch how the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom through his word and through the truth to give to, to the people that you're, you're trying to uh, bring to Christ. And that's what we're going to do when we go, when we go to, to other countries. You never know what you're going to face. I know that, that Romania is Greek Orthodox, is a state religion. Um, in, in Honduras, it's kind of a, mystic, a mystical kind of Catholicism that has people in bondage. And so this combination, uh, combination of different types of beliefs, we need to listen so we can know what we're addressing. All right, and then look what else he does in verse uh, 27, 29. You see the common ground here? He says, he says he's actually not from, far from each, any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. And then he says, even some of your own poets say this. 
say, for we are indeed his offspring. Some of your own poets, Athenian poets, Greek poets, are actually saying that, that we are the offspring of God. Now, they weren't talking about this unknown God, right? They were talking about some of the Greek gods, but he's saying, no, that we are, he's relating again to something they are familiar with. And he's saying, what your poets are saying is true, and we are offspring of God. He's relating to them. And he says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So he's finishing his, his point. He quoted one of their own poets, and he's connecting his teaching to something that they already accepted. And so we, we don't need to think that, that you can continue this practice of making gods yourself, that you can dream up something to create when the one that created you, you don't even have an image for him. He's bigger than us. He's, we can't create gods and images. And so he addresses some of the things that they're facing. All right, and then verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now he's bringing it home. He's calling, to, calling this, these people to consider a response to what he's been saying. It's time. He says it's time for people everywhere to repent. As he commands it, because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he's con- now consider a response, he says, to what I'm saying. Because there's a day of judgment coming when God is going to judge the world. The God that, that this idol that you created represents, the one that created the world and created you. There's a day of judgment coming. And he's going to judge you based on righteousness. And so he brings them to a point of serious consideration. I would say the best way and the way that God's designed for us as a church to bring people to a point of decision is, first of all, by winning the right to be heard. It's different if you come in and you don't know somebody and you say, this is what I believe and this is what you ought to believe. Then if you build a relationship with somebody... They see you, they know you, they understand what you believe, and then you, then you share truth with them. You've listened to them, and you're sharing truth with their thoughts and ideas in mind. You're comparing that and telling them how what you believe is truth and why it's truth. And, and after you've done that, and you've earned the right, and, the, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak the truth when it's time, then it calls for a response. People recognize that. There's a moment when that response is called for, and they they realize that what I've always believed is not what you're showing me. And when that moment comes, you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to say, now, what decision would you like to make? You don't have to have an invitation. You don't have to do anything else other than make them know that this decision, that that opportunity is available for them. And so he called them to consider a response. And then lastly, in verses 32 and 34, it says this. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, here's the response. Some mocked. Some mocked. That's happened every time Paul has presented the gospel. Every place that Paul has gone, when he speaks the gospel, some mock. Some re- don't receive it. But he says, others said, 
we haven't yet made up our mind, and we'd like to hear you on this again. Why don't you come tomorrow up to Areopagus, and we can have some coffee and talk about this one more time, right? Come up to the hill, and let's talk about this again. There were some of them that were stirred in their hearts, and I believe the Holy Spirit was beginning to move and work and draw them in, and they, they were very interested in what they were hearing, but they hadn't made a decision yet. And then there were some that joined them and believed. Among those were Dionysius, the Areopagus. That's significant. And I think Paul tells us that because he wants us to know that one of them, one of these Stoic philosophers, one of these, these uh, heady, uh, uh, argumentative philosophers had taken in what Paul said and the Holy Spirit grabbed him with it and he became a believer. And so, as we continue to multiply community, as we continue to move into your workplace to multiply this community, as you continue to move into your neighborhood and, form, and multiply this community, as we go to other cities and, and, and uh, states and countries to multiply this community, there's always going to be multiple responses. We are not trying to, to, to work to get a response. We're just speaking the truth showing them what truth is, and they have to let that truth fall in their lives like a plumb line and say, I don't measure up to it, and it's time for a response. And you're going to have probably three responses. I despise what you're talking about, and I'm out, and you guys are crazy, and you drank too much of the Kool-Aid. Or I believe what you're saying, and I want to be with you in fellowship and in community with you, or I need some more time. I need to think about this some more. Would you keep on talking to me about this? Would you stay in relationship with me and continue to hear what I have to say, hear my questions, and and address these questions as best you can? There was a division of the people into believers and skeptics and, and mockers. But those that believe, look at it again, verse 34, but some men joined them, joined him and believed. He joined him. They became a part of the community. And every time that we see someone put their faith in Christ in the book of Acts, they become, immediately become a part of the community. They joined it. So, word for us today. We see consistency in the book of Acts as a multiplied community. There are things that we can expect. We can expect these same kind of responses every time if we're really multiplying the community of Christ. We're going to face opposition from the, the religious folks who, are, who will despise us if we're just trying to walk purely in the gospel of Jesus. We're going to, we can expect that. We can expect opposition from people who, who are not a part of, who don't believe in Christ, have no religious background at all. But we can also expect that from both, we will find people coming to believe in Christ and immediately becoming a part of this community. Those are the people that we're sifting through. We're sifting through all these people to find those people who are thirsty for God. We're looking for all these people who are tired of, of who, are, who are starving to death because they've been feeding on the idols of everything else in life other than feeding on Christ. We want to feed them. We want to give them the word and give them Christ. 
and settle once and for all in their lives what they've been looking for, that satisfaction, that fulfillment that comes from knowing and knowing Christ and being in community with his people. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for, uh, again, for just the message that you're giving us out of the book of Acts. We see ourselves there. And this week, God, I know that, um, that we're going to face people who, who fall into all these different categories. And my prayer is that you would bring to our memory these things that we've talked about today, God, that it's not random that we're facing these same kinds of things as we walk out the things that you've called us to be in community. It's not random that we're not finding these, some of these basic biblical principles even in our church, as we've been, Lord, evaluating ourselves based on what this pure church looks like in the book of Acts. But Father, don't let us settle for where we are and continue to walk, God, in the habit of just seeing what biblical community is and then not adjusting our lives to that. I thank you for the challenge today, God. And I pray that you will help us to, to bless people this week, that you would put people in our paths that we can build relationships with, God, begin to establish uh, the right to be heard by listening to them and eating with them and serving them, God. And oh, we, we just pray for that, pray that you'd bring people into our lives and that ultimately we could share Scripture, share our testimony, uh, share our stories and lead them to a point of response. Lord, let us see that this week as we open ourselves up to you to be that kind of church. And as we multiply community, God, help us to follow Paul's example, to meet people where they are. And Lord, that you would give us conversation that would lead to a response to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.